Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Sports in the Making podcast. I hope that everyone is making productive use of their time away from work. And I also sympathize with everyone who is undergoing changes in their lives, whether it's health, lost opportunities, or changes in employment. Many, if not all of us, are in the same situation, and I hope that all of this changes soon. I'd also like to let you know that this podcast is my passion project to let my colleagues and sports fans know all of the hard work that goes into creating sports and to share some stories to help in that mission. I'll do my best to bring you interesting content as much as I can. So hang in there, everybody. That said, I will continue releasing podcast episodes indefinitely, so if you have any suggestions on who you'd like to hear from, please let me know at sportsinthemaking.com. Again, thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. They are the people who keep things running on a sports television broadcast, the ones who make sure that what you see at home is as close to perfect as possible. They have to be ready at a moment's notice to fix things that break and are responsible for mobile television trucks that can cost in the tens of millions of dollars. In this episode, I'll talk with a broadcast engineer who has worked on some of the most technically advanced and complex shows in sports, next on Sports in the Making. Thank you for listening to Sports in the Making, a podcast where we talk with the people who work behind the scenes in sports and sports broadcasting. We'll talk about what they do, how they do it, and the impact they've made in the sports industry. This is the lucky number 13 episode. When it comes to televising sports, there are many people that put a lot of time, effort, and experience into their work that allows fans to enjoy their teams. Everything from the media relations people, to the coaches, to the broadcasters. The people we rarely hear from are those that work on the technical side, those that make sure what you see on your television is of the highest quality. They're called mobile production truck engineers. They're often the first to arrive to an event site, they work unbelievable hours, and they are usually the last to leave. They strategically plan for ever more complex shows, keep the electronics in tip-top shape, and literally put out fires at some of the most inopportune moments. My guest on this episode has worked in the television industry since he was eight years old. He's worked on network news as a teenager, and he's been in sports for most of his career. He's worked on many major sporting events around the world. His most recent work includes project managing ESPN's megacast production of the College Football National Championships and the Super Bowl on Fox. His name is Brian Nupnow, and he works for Game Creek Video, a mobile production truck company that handles many major events throughout the world. We talk about what his career has been like, some of the events he's been a part of, how each television truck has its own personality, and more. I was introduced to Brian from another Game Creek engineer, Brian Rule. I caught up with Brian recently to talk about everything that goes on in his world. And here's my conversation with Brian. Hey, Brian, thank you for joining me on Sports in the Making. Oh, thanks for having me. Now, Brian, you work with Game Creek Video as manager of engineers. How would you describe what you do? So my, my basic role is I'm a manager of 15 engineers and six trucks, but I manage day-to-day operations of those trucks, uh, help them with, with, with any technical issues that they have. I'm, I'm their, their first, their tier one tech support, basically, if you will, and just general manager for them. So if they have any concerns about things, questions, whatever, they can come to me. And then I also project manage shows, any large shows involve my trucks or my specific client. I'm primarily focused on ESPN, but I do things for other uh, other uh, network 
networks as well, such as CBS or Fox or other ones, but primarily ESPN. I'm sure that anyone who's attended a game has either seen a mobile television truck or they know they exist and they've seen pictures of them. But I'm not sure if most people know what's inside of them or what their capabilities are. Would you mind explaining that for us? A TV truck is typically a, a semi-trailer. So the, the national limit for trucks is 53 feet, and that does not include the air conditioners on the front. So it's a 53-foot trailer that's, that's pulled by a, a tractor, an 18-wheeler, basically. And inside, they can have expanding sides. So most of our trucks have our dual expando. So the, the monitor wall expands, the other side expands. So they come out to roughly around 20 feet, fully spread out with stairs and, and everything else. Inside houses all of the gear. It's like a television control room, basically. You think of like a TV station or some other broadcasting entity. It's, it's the full control with the monitors, the camera controls, the replay devices, the graphics, the audio, all of that. And it's put in trucks so it can go around the country. Instead of being limited to one location, it can go anywhere. We even have shipped trucks over to Korea for the Olympics. We'll have trucks going to Tokyo for the Olympics. We put them on a boat and ship them that way. Typically, we stay in North America, but we do go outside of that. There is so much technology inside of one of these trucks. And, you know, I love giving people tours of them when I can. They've got some expensive equipment. How much do these mobile TV trucks cost? So there's there's a wide variety of what they cost. It really depends on the size of the truck and what they're doing. The physical trailers can be anywhere from 100000 to up to a million for an expando per trailer. And then the gear inside is really what determines the overall cost. Some companies that do regional sports work and that kind of thing, they may be four to five million for an HD truck up to a, a big network truck that could be close to 20 million. It, it really varies based on the amount of gear that's in there. And sometimes the trucks are wired for more gear than they actually carry. So they may rent extra things depending on a, on a bigger show or something like that. But there's, there's a really wide range. There's no one number that anyone can say, well, the truck's gonna cost this. It's really based on what the clients want and what they're willing to pay for. $20 million for a truck. Does Game Creek build their own trucks? And if so, do they build them to cover a variety of events? Or are they custom built according to what the networks are looking for? So uh, all, all of our trucks are, are built specifically for a client. So we'll, we don't just build trucks just because we want to build them. We, we have to have a, a contract and everything. It'll be for a number of years. And... We do have kind of a basic design. We'd like our trucks to be sort of similar. Jason Taubman does the the actual electronic design, and then we have uh, Paul Boner does the the trailer design. They're typically built at Girling, which is in Ohio, that they build the, the majority of our trailers. And it, also, when you think about a truck, when you say $20 million, it's not usually just one truck. For, for that size, it can be a, a, a three-truck unit or a four-truck unit. Our, our NASCAR is uh, five trucks that, that go out to do NASCAR. So that's, it's one package that acts as one truck, but there's actually more trucks included in that, in that operation. Um, but yeah, we, we do the design from top to bottom. We build them in our field shop. We have another company, uh, Icon Broadcast, that actually does the wiring, but it, it's, it's our design that goes into the trucks. And, and we try and make the trucks from the oldest one to the newest one we have right now. The basic flow is the same. So if you look at the patch panel of one truck, it's going to look very similar. Some are a little bigger, some may be a little smaller. But any one of our engineers can go in any of our trucks and they're going to look very similar. So Brian gave me a couple of pictures that I'm going to post on my website. So if any of my listeners want to see the technology inside now, you can visit sportsandmaking.com. 
When it comes to TV trucks, there can be multiple units at a venue, Brian. How do you plan for which truck goes to which event, and how are they configured together? Well, the, the planning for a lot of events starts months before the actual event happens. And I'll use the example of the College Football National Championship that we just had in New Orleans. Um, the, the first decision that comes in is, is how big do we have for the compound? And t- e- technically, ESPN usually asks for about 80,000 square feet for a compound, but they don't always get that. It really depends what the venue is able to give them. So once we have a, an idea of, of how much room we're going to have and how far that's going to be away from the building, and then we also look at how many cameras are going to be there, how many different feeds, how many different things do we need to provide, how much audio, and then we kind of determine what trucks would be best suited to handle that. In the case of the, um, of the national championship, we had 15 trailers that were there, including one that was doing a, a 4K show. Three of the trailers were edit trucks. And an edit truck is not like a typical production truck that has a, a monitor wall. It has basically cubes that are user-definable. So they can bring in their own equipment and they can use it as an edit suite. They can use it as a robo-control room. They can use it as whatever they want. And we had three of those trailers that were there. So they were doing different things. We had submix in them. We'd use them for Deportes, uh, for doing different, different productions out of the same truck. So those are just kind of universal open spaces they'll have monitors and intercom and router and that kind of thing but they're very user user definable um the next thing is is really budget and then how much extra technology we're going to have on site and a lot of times we don't know that until the end but when you do a big show like like espn for example sometimes their advertisers internally they will sponsor certain things so they'll have special technology that will come out and a lot of times we're not aware of that until very shortly before it comes and we don't know exactly what it's going to be it's kind of a science project sometimes so it'll be stuff that hasn't been released to the market yet and sometimes it's things we can't even talk about of new technology that may be coming out or new things that they want to try to kind of elevate the viewer experience if that makes sense so that's we kind of have to leave a, a a placeholder if you will to bring in some technology that we don't know what ins or outs it's going to have and what kind of connection it's going to need but we have to kind of assume there's going to be something there all right for all of the football fans we have out there that have watched uh espn does the college football championships with uh, what's called a mega cast when do you start planning for that massive production with espn so with the national championship we started in july to start having the initial conversations about what the budget was going to be, the size of the compound, the location of the compound, how many engineers and trucks we were going to provide. We did a couple on-site surveys. We actually went out to New Orleans to see the venue, see the parking area. And one of the challenges in New Orleans was that the the actual lot that was big enough to have us all there was a little over 3,000 feet away from the building. It was a parking lot that was across the street and kind of around the corner. So that was a, a another little challenge that we had. Um, you couldn't run, you know, like typical DT12 and that kind of thing in the building because it just wouldn't make the signal. So everything had to go on fiber. And DT12 we, for our audience who doesn't know? Uh, DT12 is audio cable. And we did have some of that going in the building, but primarily everything was on fiber. Okay. So it, it was a lot of, lot of runs of fiber going into the building. And we also had uh, two major streets that were going to be open that we had to cross over. So we had to get permits from the city to, to cross the streets at three o'clock in the morning and build a bridge. The bridge we built was actually a walking bridge. They could go up on top of it and walk across. 
the uh, streets were not closed until the day of game. So we, we had to get cable through there and get technicians up on there. And, and so that was a, a lot of a lot of logistics kind of stuff. There's a lot that goes into the engineering for a television production. I was fortunate to have worked as a utility and as a camera operator early in my career. So I appreciate what engineers do to prepare for a game that can last three hours or more, not counting any of the supporting shows around the event. How much time, dedication, and, and sacrifice is it for you working on events? You know, a lot of people really don't realize how much goes into these shows. And like I said, we started playing this in, in July. The actual on-site time for the uh, national championship was uh, nine days. That was for the, the Game Creek staff that was on-site and the freelancers and everything. And those are very long days. Those are typically, oh, I don't know, our average day was probably 11, 12 hours. And then towards the end, it got up to like 16 to 18 hours. So they're very, very long days. And there's a lot of stress that goes into it, too. So it's it's hard to stay in contact with your family, especially if you have young kids or something like that at home. It's it's very difficult. And it, it is very hard in relationships. And that's something I've learned over the years. I've been very fortunate that my my wife is is very uh, understanding in that area, but but it is very difficult. Yeah, I understand uh, what you're saying about your wife because my wife sometimes preferred that I was on the road so she wouldn't have to take care of another kid around the house, being me. So being on the road so often, you must form some kind of special relationship with the people that you work with or a brotherhood of some sorts, right? We definitely do. I, I don't think there's been a show in the last. I don't know, 10 or 15 years that I've been on where I don't know somebody that's on the crew. Usually I know quite a few of the people that's on there, but it's a very different camaraderie. I mean, it's really your team that's there on site against the whole world. I mean, to try and come together and, and to make a product. It's, it, I think it's a very unique thing compared to any other industry that you think about where you have a lot of times people that work together a little bit, but not a whole lot. And there's not a lot of direct direction. There's not someone telling you to have to do exactly this. You all kind of have a, a very general idea of what needs to be done. You just work together and you get it finished. On the bigger sh shows, there may be a little bit more of that where you have uh, a little more direction and a little more planning that goes into it, but it still really comes down to everybody just doing their job. From a producing standpoint, we want to put together the most impressive shows possible. But on the engineering side, I'm sure there's some kind of restrictions. How much of a say do you have in working with the networks on how everything's going to work and be put together? So with, with the Megacast, it's kind of evolved over the last few years. The, the first year we did it, I think we had 15 or maybe 18 transmission paths. And this last year, we were up to 41 transmission paths. And the overall complexity of the show has grown quite a bit too. So the first year when I did it was in uh, in Dallas at the the stadium in, in Arlington actually, and I was the engineer on the truck and also the project manager at the same time, and that just didn't work out well. It was hard to keep track of all the logistics and the shipping and everything else on top of actually engineering the show. So ESPN actually wanted me to take a, a little bigger role. So I, I stepped back. So I wasn't the engineer on the truck. I became the, the, the project manager on the show and it's kind of grown ever since then. And in the first couple of years, also we had different truck vendors that were in there along with game Creek. They it wasn't all the game Creek compound. So ESPN kind of took over the reins and they kind of decided what they wanted. But when, we, when it became an all game Creek compound, which it has been for the last couple of years, they really wanted us to kind of take the lead of, of 
how best to interface our trucks because that was something that we understood because we used them, we built them, we designed them. And it, com- it came up with a much more cohesive, uh, comprehensive of merging of, of trucks and signals because we had so many signals to go between the trucks and not a lot of time. Uh, just for comparison, we were on site for the uh, this last national championship for eight days versus the Super Bowl that I think was 18 days. So it was almost wow. double that we were there at the Super Bowl. And we had more trucks. We had uh, 15 trucks at the CFP versus 12 at the uh, at the Super Bowl. So we have very little time to set up, and it really has to be as efficient as possible. So ESPN kind of let me – I gave them a proposal of how I'd like to connect all these trucks and do it fast and as economically as possible. And, and so far, that's worked out pretty well. What's an engineer's responsibility on a mobile production truck? So typically it's anything. Um, it, it really sounds kind of, <laughs> kind of weird, but I mean, you're, you're opening the truck, you're setting the truck up physically. So you're opening the side, you're powering the truck, you're cleaning the truck. And then once the truck is there and the, and the crew starts to show up, you have to show them where everything is. Sometimes you have to show them how things operate. If it's a new piece of gear or something they're not familiar with, it's troubleshooting. And then it's also signal routing. So you have to make sure that the signals make it all the way through the switcher, that everything's in time. Uh, a lot of times you're dealing with communication. You're dealing with GPIs and tallies. So you're dealing with how the, how the cameras get their on-air signal. Um, and just any kind of troubleshooting that happens during the show or before the show where something doesn't work or something isn't making it to the right place. And then you also deal with the actual transmission of the final product and making sure that it gets out and it looks good and that everything is is done as it's supposed to. And then there's all the little side things of helping people print and get on the Internet and um, cleaning up the truck and just all that stuff. It all kind of comes together. When you have to be responsible for all of the equipment on the truck, everything from the switcher to the graphics machines to the cameras to playback, audio if something goes wrong, how do you fix that equipment, especially since there's always new technology that's added to a truck? There's some basic principles that when you understand the, the overall, how things go together, that some of that's still the same. There's still an output of it. There's still an input. It still needs reference. There's some things that are generic to any type of gear that you have in. And there's some of it you just kind of figure out as you go along. Sometimes we'll get a tech support number if it's something that's really brand new. Um, but a lot of times it's just things that we have to figure out. And, you know, w- one of the, the, the tricks that I've learned over the years of being an EIC is never let them see you sweat. You know, that's a, a famous saying, but it, it's really true. If they feel confident in what you're doing, then they feel more confident about the show and how it's going. Uh, what, one example that I can give is I was doing a race and they had one tape machine that was all their, their money reel. That's all the commercial reel. That's how they get paid for the show. And we only had one tape machine on the truck and it was broken. And I had it on, on the back bench and I was taking it apart and working on it, trying to fix it. And this was probably 30 minutes before the show. And the director came in he's like, what's going on? Is this going to work? And I just kind of looked at him and I said, well, I don't know, but I stayed at the holiday express last night and I feel pretty good. <laughs> and he just started laughing and he went in and sat down and the producer came in. So I was going on. He went to the director and said, what's going on back there? We're going to have a show. And the director said, don't worry about it. He stayed at a Holiday Inn Express. It's all okay. <laughs> so, and that just kind of broke the mood. And I was sweating internally. I was very worried about it, but I couldn't let them see that I was worried. Yeah. Well, having come up through the ranks myself, I'm sure most of us have worked with that producer or director who is very demanding or who has been a yeller or a screamer 
How do you deal with someone who has a strong personality like that? Well, you have to understand where they're coming from, too. There's a lot of pressure on them. Sometimes that's not that obvious to us. We just see our little bubble of our right. world or our truck. But what's on them is a lot. And a lot of the, the producers and directors are freelance. And if they have a bad show, they might not get hired again. So there's really a lot riding on it. And there's a lot for the network. And there's a lot more advertising revenue. And there's rights. And there's all kinds of things that are, that are rolled into it. So it is a high-stress position. And the, the best thing you can do is not snap at them and just take their concerns and, and do the best you can. Now, you have kind of a unique story on how you got started in this industry. You were really young, right? How how old were you? I, I was actually eight years old when I when I started eight. working in tel- eight. Yes, my 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 dad was a uh, electrical engineer, and he worked for a company that did a lot of stuff for the military, and they designed various components and things. And he kind of got tired of it one day, and he decided he wanted to start a, a television business. He had done some stuff for our for our church. He'd done some sound reinforcement and some different things, and he really liked it. And he had also worked in television uh, back in Chicago and some of the first remotes and other things. So we did have a bit of a television background. So he bought some used equipment. He built uh, a little studio in, in our basement and we had a, a little edit system and he had a single camera ENG thing. And he told me when he first got it, don't touch any of this because he thought I was too young. So in the middle of the night when everybody was asleep, I used to sneak down there and, and play with the stuff. And I, I had all these great school projects that I would do. I, we uh, reenacted a, a Civil War thing for school one time when we filmed it and edited it. And I had all these great projects and I, and I had a blast doing it. And eventually he let me go with him on shows. So I was probably, oh, I don't know, maybe nine or 10 when he had his first truck that was basically just an RV with some folding tables and uh, monitors and stuff set up on it. And I just, I got hooked. And the more I, I started working with him, the more we started doing together. I, I knew that's what I wanted to do. Now, before we started this podcast, you mentioned to me that when you were a teenager, you were traveling all around the world covering news events, and you had some interesting stories for your friends when you'd come home. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, it, it, it was kind of crazy. I got in with, a, with another company in Chicago, and I started freelancing, and I worked for the major networks. I did uh, CBS Morning and Evening News uh, 48 hours with Dan Rather at the time. And I was traveling all over to earthquakes, hurricanes, floods, all this other kind of crazy stuff, doing camera work and audio sometimes, uh, just basic news things. And that's what I would do on the weekends or on spring break or, you know, over the summer or whatever, I would do all, go on all these crazy shoots. And we started doing some sports things as well. And um, yeah, and my, my friends would say what they did. And though they went to a football game or saw a movie and like, well, I had to, fly to Canada or I had to you know go to Mexico or something else and it was just it, it was it was very very odd but it was fun it was it was a great way to grow up so how did you get to the next level and what kinds of things did you get to experience so when I was working with my dad he went through a couple different versions of trucks and got to a little bit higher end it's it still it was nowhere near what I'm doing now but they were some some little better trucks and we got subbed by another truck company in the Midwest to do a show. And the owner of that company saw me out there and made me a job offer. So I went and worked with them for a couple of years. And then I went to another company after that that was a little bit bigger and they had more trucks and the bigger, the 53 foot trucks. And I started working with them and it was all just kind of a, a very gradual progression of, of doing different shows. And each show got a little bit bigger than what I was doing before. And then eventually I started working with, with Game Creek and I've been with Game Creek for almost 15 years now, but 
overall the industry running trucks i would say uh, it's it's been such a great experience I, I i remember going into a truck i was doing i think it was in kansas city at the time just shooting some some b-roll for a baseball game and I, I walked into that first truck and i knew instantly that i wanted to be on a big truck that enough of these little trucks and, and doing the small stuff that that was really my goal was to to be one of these bigger trucks and be the main truck on there and it wasn't more than probably four years after that moment that I was in the same place doing the game, doing the main show. I was doing an ESPN baseball game there and I was the engineer on the main truck. And it was just, it really hit me all at once at how cool this was. You mentioned to me also that one place you went to work, uh, one of the EICs, which, which means engineer in charge had quit the day of the shoot and you ended up getting hired that same day. Yeah. So it, I, I was invited out to this company for a job interview and they flew me out there and they took me to lunch and we were talking about different things. And they said, Hey, we got a couple trucks over at this venue. We're doing a hockey game and it's a three-way. Would you want to come see what's going on? And I said, sure, that'd be great. So they took me through the first two trucks, two expandos. And they took me to the third truck. That was a, a straight truck that hadn't been set up. It was just sitting out there. And they asked me if I thought I could run it. I said, sure. I, you know, the gear sounds very familiar to what I've had before. So the uh, uh, director of operations gave me the keys and said, okay, we'll pick you up after the show. Their engineer had quit that day and they didn't have anybody to run the truck. And they had not mentioned that to me. So they came back afterwards and, and picked me up. But it was a truck I've never seen. It wasn't powered. It wasn't set up. And I, I did the show. So it's, it was, it was kind of trial by fire, but it worked out well. What's the craziest or most challenging event you've ever been a part of? Um, probably the most challenging was back when ESPN used to do hockey doing NHL hockey. Um, I was in, so the hockey game was on Saturday in Denver and on Thursday I was doing basketball in Dallas and we knew if there was some weather coming on our truck had to get up there. So I, I called my company and I said, Hey, we probably shouldn't do this. We were scheduled to do a show on Friday as well in Dallas. And so we probably shouldn't do that because the weather's going to get bad. So they agreed. We struck. We left. Another truck was going to come cover us. But we didn't realize at the time was instead of calling the driver, they emailed the driver and the, the driver did not have a computer. And he was driving from California to Florida and happened to be passing through Texas. But he just kept on going and didn't know. So the next morning I get a call from the hotel in a frantic that we were already an hour late for Park and Power and the crew was showing up and they needed a truck in Dallas. So and my driver had just gotten on the road and he was just heading out. So we turned around and we got there quickly and we got through the show. Well, the bigger problem was now getting to, to uh, Denver and the, the roads had been shut down. There was a blizzard that came in and nobody could get there. So I, I got there on time, but the truck wasn't there. So the next morning on Saturday, it was a 7 PM start and the truck was nowhere near, near the city. So we started bringing in other trucks. They found a little bread truck to come in that had like a six input switcher and little audio board and ESPN rejected that right away. <laughs> and they brought in another truck from the local college that was a little bit bigger, but still wasn't big enough. So they rejected that one too. And we decided to wait for the truck to come in. So the truck arrived at 6 PM for a seven o'clock start. And wow. ESP, ESPN hockey at the time was very large. It's bigger than their NBA. They do now it was over 30 cameras. And so what, I knew this was going to be a bad day. So I, I started everything there on site, talking to the crew. And I there was a home truck that was there as well. So we got a graphics machine from them. We got an EVS from them. So they were able to do the editing and everything as much as they could. 
and they, they built the graphics and did all that stuff. And a lot of their, their stuff they brought in as well. So they had their POV cameras, they had the robo cameras, they had all that stuff they could build. We were able to rent locally some other stuff. We got some cable and tripods and different things and set all that up as well. So when the truck rolled in, I'd already had my show built because I built it on my laptop while I was sitting there. I did the intercom. I did the router. I was working with a TV, so I got the monitor walls done. I saved salvos for all of that. Um, we did pretty much everything ahead of time that we could do. The TV actually built stuff on his laptop that we could load onto the switcher. The A1 got all his stuff set up. We had uh, a rented booth kit that was there, so we had microphones, and we had all of that stuff ready to go. So when the truck arrived at 6 p.m., I had the crew lined up on either side of the truck. Everybody knew what was in each bay, what they had to do to get out, and where, where it was going to be going inside. And the truck backed in as soon as it was in position, and they got the side open. And I went up inside and started patching in video, and the A1 went up and started patching in audio. This is before the floors were even dropped. Everybody was still working. We got the truck powered. Within about 15 minutes after the truck was powered, we had everything loaded. The show that I built, the show the TV built. The A1 had his show loaded. We have the intercom going. The video guys knew the truck, and they got everything patched in and ready. And the producer, to his credit, he stayed out of my hair. He knew that this was going to be a rough day. And he came back right before the show. We are probably 15, maybe 10, 15 minutes before air. He said, okay, tell me, what, what do I have? What can I use on the show? I said, everything. He said, what, what do you mean everything? I said, everything was there. Every feed was there. The graphics were all built. All the... The elements that they needed were built. Everything was done ahead of time. Everything was loaded. They literally had their entire show ready to go in an hour. That's amazing. And and th- and this is one of the reasons why I started this podcast is because people don't know what you do. I've always thought that engineers like you are kind of like MacGyver, you know, saving the world. But but with you all, you have to save the show. Well, and the thing with this, you know, being mobile television, you can never assume anything. It can be the, the smallest show. You can be doing a little four-camera show, and the truck could literally catch fire. I mean, that's happened before. You can have things not show up. You can have trucks getting in an accident. That's happened before where they show up, and you can't open the bay doors. Um, we've had trucks go over the mountains, and they come in, and everything in the bays is packed in snow. You know, it's just – or the side could even be frozen shut. You really don't know what you're going to run into any day. So you've literally had to put out fires on some of the shows you've worked on. Has there been more than one? I've had several, actually. Um, one that stands out, I was doing a, a Lakers NBA game in Utah, and they just got into overtime, and the truck shut down. So I went outside, and there was actually a fire in the power bay. So I put that out, and in the meantime, the uh, the producer director, it was the same person, was letting me know their displeasure of the whole thing. While they're standing over me, I was able to get in the power bay and strip the wire back and put everything back on. The wire actually burned off the transformer. We were down for seven and a half minutes, and we got back up on the air, and the game was still going on. They'd started the second overtime at this point. We finished out the game that way. Wow. But, yeah, you just you never know. You can never assume anything on these shows. I was doing a race once, and the truck was actually hit by lightning. It came in through the phone lines. We found out later the the, the phone block was not grounded, so it, it took the hit and then brought it into the truck that way, and it actually arced on the side of the truck. We could see where it was melted a little bit on the on the I.O. Inside the truck, where I happened to be at the time, I saw the flash of lightning inside the truck. Wow. And the truck didn't actually go down, but a lot of things didn't work afterwards. We lost all of our graphics machines, the audio board, the uh, switcher, the uh, 
the intercom, everything went down at that point and nothing worked. And, and the uh, director and producer and the tech manager came to me and said, what do you need? And I said, I need everybody to get out. There were so many broken things in the truck at that point. And I was on my own at that time because the other engineer who was supposed to be working with me who had done a show the night before and his plane got canceled. So I was, I was there by myself. And I said, I just need everybody to leave. And fortunately, they, they did that. And they said, okay, we, had, we were on the air the next day at 10. And I stayed there all night and I got enough stuff working to, to do a show the next day. But it was literally some trips to Best Buy to buy graphics cards and power supplies and some spares I had on the truck. And then just kind of scavenging from what was around in the area. And I was able to get enough stuff to, to do a show. But yeah, those kind of things happen. When you're on a remote location and there isn't anywhere where you can get spare parts or equipment, how do you handle a problem like that? A lot of times when we know we're going to be in a remote location, we do bring spares. And the truck has a lot of spares on it. We have spare cards for anything that's critical. So for the router, for the switcher, for the audio board, we have spare cards that are usually called spares. And they're just sitting there ready to go. As far as little things that you you may need or want i mean there, there's a, a lot of places either like a best buy or walmart or something you can get to um in more recent years amazon's been our friend you know you have amazon prime you can get stuff overnight and that's been been really good too sent to your hotel and I, and as far as other stuff sometimes you just have to deal with what you have and you, you never wanted to say no to the client when they they want to do something but sometimes you have to say, well, I can't do it this way, but I can do this. I can do something instead if, if you have something that's broken. But at, at least with, with Game Creek is, is very responsive to getting stuff to us quickly, whatever that takes. And it's actually come to a certain point where we've had technicians or even Pat Sullivan's had to get on a plane with a piece of gear and, and fly out there. He's done that before. And Pat Sullivan is the owner of Game Creek Video. He's the owner, yeah. Or, or another engineer or whatever. But I mean, we're we're very focused on getting the show on the air and whatever that takes. So we're, we're willing to do it. Now we've talked about the college football championships, the Super Bowl, the Alpine ski world championships up in Beaver Creek, Colorado, that game Creek has been a part of what other events have you been a part of? Pretty much. If you've watched television, you've seen something that I've done. <laughs> uh, a couple of my favorite things that I did, I did the uh, uh, Taylor Swift concert that was for Netflix, her uh, reputation tour. I did uh, Justin Timberlake for HBO, uh, Billboard Music Awards, some of that kind of stuff. And and every year I do the the National Football Championships. I do the NBA Finals, uh, Masters, the PGA Championship, that kind of stuff. And and now we're going into the political season. And Game Creek has done pretty much all of the town hall meetings and and, and any kind of debates and that kind of stuff we do. We also do the inaugurations. We've done the last uh, I think three inaugurations, and we do the uh, the Democratic and the Republican uh, conference, at, you know, right before the election. So th that's been been really interesting. I mean, re regardless of where you fall in the political spectrum, it, it's a very interesting process to watch and see how the how the country picks its leaders. It's it's very very interesting. Talking with Brian Nupnow, manager of engineers for Game Creek Video. Brian, how similar or different are sports events, political events, or entertainment productions? One of the big things that comes to mind is security, especially when you have a, a sitting president. The security levels are are much much higher, and there's also both the Republican and the Democratic side. There's a lot of protests, and there's different things outside that that can make it a little challenging to get to work some days. I know at the uh, the last one we were doing the 
Republican convention in Cleveland at the, at the last, last election. And we had to set up a camera in a hotel that was a couple miles away from the, from the venue that was not going to our trucks. It was actually going directly to New York and to the, the, the master control rooms of the different stations. And the purpose of that camera was if the building exploded, that they would have a shot of the building exploding. Wow. So it's, it's just kind of sobering sometimes. Yeah. I mean, glad that never happened obviously, but it's, it's different. There's a lot more seriousness and that kind of goes back to why I got out of news because sports is, you know, there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of things going on, but it's not life or death. And when you do news, it really is. There's, there's another serious side of it you know, where people may have lost everything or there's something else that's going on. And, and, and sports is, is entertainment still. So it's, I, I do like sports a little bit better. I, I like the political stuff just to see what's going on, but you know, once every four years is, is plenty for me. Okay, changing gears a little bit. How many trucks are in Game Creek's fleet? We so we have what are called A and B units. So when we count a truck, we, we'll count it one time if it's a system. So let me get you number one, two. The, the, the Game Creek has forty six trailers, but within that is is more physical trucks because they may have a b c unit that's tied in with it but um 46 systems of trucks if that makes sense uh yeah actually and and each of those trucks has a name right they do all all the names are are unique on our trucks some companies go with numbers or anything but we come up with names some of the names are picked by our clients uh one example that would be yogi for yogi barra that truck does the the yankees um, we have a truck whose name is Webby. That's after Bill Webb, the director, and they do the Mets primarily. Some of the trucks have names that are, are by the city they're in. So like Apollo and Gemini are based in Houston, and those are based off of the, the, the space programs down there. Uh, Dynasty was, was a name that was picked, again, by the Yankees. That was a Yankee truck for a while for the, the dynasty of the, of the team. One of the trucks, Spirit, the name was actually picked by my daughter, who was, she liked Disney cartoons at the time, and Spirit was one that she really liked, so Pat thought that was a good name. And sometimes there are just other things, like 79, that's one of our more current trucks, it's an IP-based truck, is uh, named 79 after the year 1979, that's when ESPN started, and 79 is primarily an ESPN truck. All right, this might sound like an odd question. But I've worked in trucks that always had a quirk or something that would always make me wonder if it was an animate object or not. Do certain trucks have different personalities or characteristics? So this is going to sound really, really weird, and people may say that I'm crazy, but every truck has a personality. And if you're not nice to that truck and you don't talk to it right, it's not going to act right. Um, there's several trucks that I've been on that I've had no problems on and the truck runs great. And then as soon as I'm off the truck, it, everything falls apart <laughs> and I can't really explain it. I don't know why, but I talk nice to it. I, I pet it a little bit and, you know, I pat the carpet and tell it, you know, hopefully it'll do a good job for me and the trucks have been great, but. Yeah, no, I had a feeling that was the case, but it's good to hear it from you. And I've seen some of the engineers I've worked with in the past run around sometimes frantically trying to solve a problem they can't seem to find in the truck. Do you ever get the occasional gremlin where you're trying to figure out what's going on and it's just driving you crazy? So I, I think every truck, you know, in the first roll out of the shop, everything's perfect and they're they're brand new and everything's great. And then over time, they'll just develop some weird little 
ticks and the things you can't find, you can swap everything in the path. You can swap the board, swap the cables and things will just randomly not work. Hmm. And some, sometimes I've seen trucks that they'll be great for one engineer and then that engineer will go to another truck and he'll come back and a visiting thing and everything will fall apart. It's like the truck is, is, is trying to punish him for leaving it. And it doesn't make sense. And I've never been able to figure it out, but they definitely have a personality. Brian, what's the best part of what you do? The best part for me is just the satisfaction of seeing this whole thing coming together. Uh, when you start with nothing, you, you may pull into an empty field or an empty parking lot. And then all of a sudden you do this international broadcast that goes everywhere and is seen by millions of people. And just for it to go well and know that, that you did that, you accomplished something. You can just sit back and watch that. And it's just, it, it's an amazing feeling when you know how hard you work to get there working, you know, a week or more of nearly 20 hour days. And then at the end, it just comes together. And, and the team that you get to work with in the road is just phenomenal that all these people put their lives on hold and they come out and, and they give their all. I mean, there's people there that uh, I've seen them go through so much and, and it's not just the stress of, of the location that we're at or the show that we're doing, but there's environmental things where it's cold, it's rainy, it's snowy, it's sleety. It's dirty a lot of times, and these people are just beat up and, and run down, and they still have a smile, and they're still giving their all, and it's just it's an amazing thing to see. How about the best accomplishment that you've had? Oh, the best accomplishment? <laughs> I mean, probably something not related to work, probably the birth of my two daughters that was, you know, and my family at home. That's that's probably the, the biggest thing in my life, but I, I don't know. I, I like where I'm at now in the position where I'm not assigned to a, a particular truck and I can actually help to mentor, mentor some of the, the younger engineers and, and hopefully put them on the right path. That, that's been, been really satisfying for me. If someone wants to pursue a career in your industry, what would you like them to know about what it's like being an engineer? So it's, it, it's very odd in our industry that there, there's definitely a shortage of people in all areas, whether it's it's freelance or engineering or anything else, there's a shortage. The problem is the shows have gotten so complex that you can't just sit in and run them. When I first started in television, every show was four cameras, two tape machines at the most, and, and, and a graphics machine, and that was it. And almost anybody could sit down in that in any position. You know, a, a TD only had a few things. Audio only had a few things. Tape was easy. Video was easy. And it was no big deal. Now, even on a regional show, you may be pushing 20, 30 cameras and you've got GPI triggers of everything. You've got data interfaces. You're doing file transfers. Even on the, on the smallest show, it's, it's like that. So getting into it, the best way I can say, like a networking background is really important to have some kind of computer knowledge. And, and I hate to say, you know, to, to badmouth colleges, but a lot of what they're teaching is just so far removed from what we're, we're doing in the field. The best way is to get out there and do it. So if you can get a, an internship with, with either a, a company that's doing it or as a utility, at Game Creek right now, we have an apprenticeship program, which is a, a paid apprenticeship program. And that's responsible for currently nearly 30% of our engineers have come out of that, that program. So, so we're getting college graduates. We pay them for a year, and it's basically we teach you how to run trucks and and how to do the engineering aspects. And you get to sit in the chair for a few times, 
and we give them a year. And at the end of the year, if you can't do it, you're out. And if you can do it, you're hired. It's it's really that simple. But it's it's a paid internship. So think of it as like a, a fifth year of college, basically. But you're paid for it. And, and th- that's where we're getting our people. So what kinds of qualities should somebody have if they want to do this? Is it a science background, engineering, IT that you mentioned? IT and engineering is, is definitely a help. Um, when we first started our apprenticeship program, I think we had maybe one or two applicants. And this last year, we had over 150 applicants for four spots. So it, it's getting much more complex and, and, and much more challenging to get in. But actually having some experience is, is really good. And if you go to any major city, they have, you know, they're looking for utilities or somebody else to to start at the very basic level. If you can have that experience along with some IT experience and actually have been on a shoot before, that'll really help your chances. So what do people do if they want to know more about the program? So you can go to our website, gaincreekvideo.com, and we kind of lay out the apprenticeship program and, and what's in there. And that is based in Hudson, New Hampshire. So you can uh, you, you have to live out there for a year as well. And they, they give you a little bit of something for, for living expenses. Um, now, a lot of the other companies are doing the same thing. So you can go to the mobile trucks website of other companies that are in the same business and they're doing it as well. Um, just one example of, of the market where I live in, in, in Houston, I would say probably 80% of the, the crew is, is over 50 so it's like a, a lot of the people that have been doing this for years are are starting to retire and there's really nobody to, to take the reins. So if it's, if it's something you think you'd be interested in, there's a, a huge market for it. But it, it is hard work and you have to be willing to travel. You have to be willing to leave your family for a while. And, and that's that's one of the harder things. We we have had a number of people leave that they'll work for us for a year or two. And then they realize that being on the road is is not as much fun as they thought it would be. You're not you're not doing this this glamour job of of traveling and seeing all these fun things. You're seeing the hotel, the airport, the venue, and the venue usually parked next to a dumpster and a and a portalet. So it's it's not all that glorious. And you're working in a lot of times very harsh conditions with either really hot or really cold or rainy or something else. But there really is no other job like this. It's 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 truly not just a job, it's an adventure. Well, and I like that you mentioned what some of the challenges are because it is a tough industry, but it can be rewarding. And I know that, you know, working with people, they're very satisfied in this industry. But but what are some of the advantages to being an engineer? Well, I'm, I'm not going to lie. The money is good. Um, you can make a lot more money in, in, in this than a lot of other fields that are out there. You do get to travel and you get a lot of, of frequent flyer points. So I, I've been married now for... Uh, 17 years and i don't think we've ever paid for a vacation so that's that's a plus um and when you're home you're actually home so you work on a truck and maybe you do 10 or 15 shows for a month and then the rest of the time you're at home you know you're not doing anything else you can if you schedule things right and you kind of plan a little bit you can have a lot more time at home than you would if you were working every single day you know five days a week and just have the weekend so it's it's really a balancing act and especially when you have young kids, as I did for a number of years, you really have to make the extra effort. So now the technology, there's FaceTime and there's other th- other ways of staying in touch better. And you have to make the effort. What's the next big event for you? For me, the next big event's the Masters in Augusta. I'll be the project manager on that for CBS. So that's the next big thing. And then closely after that is the PGA Championship. And then 
after that, I'll go into the NBA conference finals and finals. Okay. For any of my listeners who may be watching some of these events on TV, what's going to go into those events? What should they keep in mind on what you'll be doing? Augusta is, is a really beautiful place, but the place where they park the trucks is incredibly rough. Um, it's, we're parked on a hill, so I'll have to send you some, some pictures of this, but you can almost walk under the rear ends of the trucks that are out there. They're jacked up so high. So the, mm-hmm. the front end, the nose of the truck is touching the ground and the back end is up on ramps so much. You can walk under the back of it. It's, it, it's incredible to see all these trucks and the way that they have to park, but the show is, is such a, a, a classical show and it, it's really the, the pinnacle of, of golf. So that part is, is really interesting, but the way we have to park in this lot is just, kind of incredible yeah and the engineering that goes into it yeah the engineering is 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 pretty amazing as well the fact that we're able to cover every hole uh, on the course at the time is 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 kind of amazing that's something we've only been able to do in the last couple years so there's going to be a camera everywhere and we're always pushing the limits of technology and and doing all kinds of new things there's gonna be a lot of new things released this year that that i can't even talk about yet but it's 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 pretty amazing we're doing more 4K this year than we've done in previous years, and it's just so much. Uh, I want to say there's going to be over 20 trucks there. We're somewhere in that range, 20 to 24 trucks. Wow! So it's 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 quite a big undertaking. What about anything else that might be interesting that you can think of? Uh, you know, something that you can share with our listeners, whether it's a funny story or an amusing story, something like that. So I was doing a race a number of years ago, an auto race. And with this particular company that was producing the race, they would travel four to five camera guys to set up all the cameras. And the actual race would have over 20 camera operators. So they would try and hire local people to kind of fill in the gaps of some of the crews that have to travel as many people. So we were in this really remote location doing a race. And we had this camera guy that was from a local TV station, had never done a remote before in his life. And he had this really hard pan where the cars were coming down straight away and it was a really hard pan that he had to do and the first couple times he did it sort of okay and he started getting worse and worse and worse and the director was trying to talk him through it and you got to start earlier you got to pan harder all this kind of stuff and then finally the guy just stopped doing it altogether. he wouldn't he refused to do it so the director asked him is there something wrong is your pan head not working is something else going on up there that you need help with and he got on the intercoms camera guy and he said I just can't do it anymore. It hurts when I pan. <laughs> and everybody was kind of, what do you mean it hurts when you pan? So it's, we, we're getting ready to go to lunch. So I said, why don't you come back to the truck and we'll talk about it. So he comes back into the compound and he's got this huge red mark on the side of his face and the outline of a pan arm. And I said, what, what happened? He said, well, every time I pan, the arm was hitting him in the side of the face. <laughs> and what it was when they had built the camera, they put the arms up to clear the railings on the scaffolding that he was on. And he didn't realize he could lower them. <laughs> so every time he panned, he was hitting himself. And, and he did this for hours. He was sitting there doing it, and he had this big bruise on the side of his face. And he said, yeah, it got so bad towards the end, he was seeing stars, and he just couldn't do it anymore. Like You realize you can just turn the knob, and it'll move down a little bit. But that's some of the stuff that we run into. <laughs> you know, I, I as a former cameraman, I can relate, especially when I was young in my career. Uh, but I had engineers play practical jokes on me too. So I'm going to let that go for now. But um, now before I let you go, uh, what would you like sports fans to know that they might not otherwise think of? Engineering is, is it, it really is 
a very satisfying thing when you can sit back and watch a show and see what what all you put into it. It it, it always kind of amazes me when I can sit back and I can listen to the intercom and and see kind of what's going on. It just it, it always blows me away that that how these shows make it to the air and 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 get all that goes into it beforehand. It, it it's just it's crazy. I every time I, I hear the countdown to 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 the air when the when the director is counting down, you were going live and and whatever and five four three two one. I always get this knot in the pit of my stomach, and I still get nervous. Doesn't matter what show it is, but just to see it come up and to see everything happen and come together is just just kind of amazing. All right, Brian, uh, I appreciate your time. You've given me a lot to think about for when I'm on my next event. Us producer, director types may sometimes take it for granted what you do. So speaking on behalf of all of them, we appreciate what you do. I'm sure you don't always get the recognition you deserve for keeping everything running smoothly, but I'm sure every one of the networks appreciates what you put into the work that you provide them. And I, I really appreciate you being with me and sharing how it all comes together. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the time. All right, once again, that was Brian Nupnow, manager of engineers for Game Creek Video. Engineers, for me, are a special type of TV people. They need to know a lot about everything on a mobile TV truck. They have to adapt quickly to unexpected situations. They are the first on-site and often the last to leave. They have to manage different personalities and keep things calm, and they're away from their families a lot. Engineers have always had my respect, and I always try to help make their jobs easier when possible. So if you're someone that works in the TV industry and you haven't thanked your engineer lately, please do so. On the next Sports in the Making podcast, I talk with Olympic and endurance athlete agent Heather Novickis of the Human Interest Group. We'll talk about what goes into representing elite athletes, how agents work with brands, and women working in the sports agent industry. Heather has worked with many high-caliber athletes during her career, so you don't want to miss our conversation. If you have any suggestions on what you'd like to know more about in sports, drop me a line at sportsinthemaking.com or contact me on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn. And if you have any questions, I'd love to include them in a future episode with your name. Wherever you listen to this podcast, I'd appreciate it if you like it, share it, and leave positive reviews on your social media channels. Also, be sure to subscribe to Sports in the Making so you don't miss out on more episodes and you can catch up on previous ones there as well. I'm your host, Don Cardona. Thank you for listening to Sports in the Making.